Do you ever think about how many athletes we know the names of, but may have never watched them play their sport? An athlete like Mark McMorris or Simone Biles, who many likely only watched during the Olympics or on her Instagram. In this day and age, many athletes are also social media influencers, which makes them more money from sponsorships, ads, and other endorsements. Our very own Alex Sear looks at how the influencer market has made it easier for Olympic athletes in Canada to make money, but also much harder for those who choose to not promote themselves on social media. This is Same Difference. Bishop, and like most of you, you're stuck at home with your kids right now, so I have a great idea. Active for Life has over 200 resources with activities that you can do with your kids from the age of one up until the teenage years. It's physical literacy, it teaches them how to move, and really just waste some energy. Go check it out. Oh, <laughs> jump again. As she speaks, Melissa Bishop Nriagu looks down at a camera. She's wearing a long-sleeved Nike shirt and running tights, her blonde hair held back with a thin headband. She has that post-workout glow of someone who just got home from the gym. The video she's shooting is not for her own YouTube page. She made it for Active for Life, a Canadian not-for-profit designed to help young children adopt a healthy lifestyle. The 50-second clip flows well and makes sense. Who better than Bishop Nriagu, a fit-looking mom who is clearly active herself, to deliver that message? The 31-year-old may speak on behalf of Active for Life, but she technically does not work for the organization. Bishop Nriagu is an online influencer, a person hired by a brand or organism to spread a message and endorse products. She's a good influencer. Her 35,000 followers on Instagram make her a commodity for brands like Active for Life and Toyota and RBC and Advil. But online marketing is far from her main focus, and it's certainly not her first love. Bishop Nriagu is the fastest 800-meter runner in Canadian history. At the last Olympic Games in Rio in 2016, she missed a medal in the 800-meter final by 13 hundredths of a second. That's about one-third the time it takes for an eye to blink. Bishop has moved into third place. Rambouille struggling. Oh, and Rambouille just gets by Bishop for bronze. Melissa Bishop breaks the Canadian record, and she misses a medal by about three feet. This is what we work for for a decade, and to be that close, uh, this is tough. When she is not influencing, or being a mom and wife, Bishop Nriagu is training to ensure that fourth place does not happen again when the next Olympic Games take place in Tokyo in 2021. But training on its own does not pay the bills. The harsh reality of being one of Canada's highest performing athletes is that it just doesn't cover the cost of a proper training regimen and raising a young family. Data from the Department of Canadian Heritage shows that Olympic salaries in Canada are not Olympian at all. In 2018, when the last Olympic Games were held, the average salary for a Canadian competitor was $28,858. That's why many Olympians, like Bishop Nriagu, have turned to the world of Instagram influencing to make extra cash. 
what we get from the government is at someone at the point of their life that I'm at, like we get enough Alex probably to cover a mortgage payment or a rent payment and pay for some, like I don't pay for facilities, but it would be enough to pay for like facilities and equipment and maybe a coaching fee if, but it, it was not enough money to support, um, support that a lot of my money and the funding came from, well, I had my sponsorship dollars and that's kind of what, that's what pads your pocket a little bit. Bishop Nuriagu is among an increasingly large group of elite athletes who are turning to influencing to earn cash. In addition to her long-term athletic contract with Nike, she also has athlete influencing sponsorships with the likes of Toyota, RBC, Huggies, Dairy Farmers of Canada, Kellogg's, and baby stroller company Bugaboo. She, like many other athletes, needs those influencing dollars to support a life of training, travel, family building, and career development. What many athletes are discovering, however, is that in this new and rapidly evolving influencing economy, you don't have to be stronger faster or more skilled than everyone else to become an Instagram star with enough sponsors to earn a decent living. What matters more than being athletic is that you are persuasive, attractive, and charismatic. Local businesses in Bishop Nuriagu's hometown of Eganville, Ontario were her first sponsors. It was 2011, and back then, a major sponsorship seemed like a pipe dream. The young runner had little international racing experience, zero Olympic appearances, and her social reach, like that of most people a decade ago, started at family and ended at friends. To raise enough money for training costs, Bishop Nuriagu had to get creative. She negotiated sponsorships with building supply shops, grocery stores, and health clinics around Eganville, a town of 1,000, located 130 kilometers west of Ottawa. I think in two, the summer of 2011 or 10, I can't really recall, but I think that was the first time I sent out my sponsorship letters. It was kind of like a cover letter and my resume, that, but for athlete purposes, that's how, what I had sent out. I mean, I sent it to my dentist and my home hardware store times two and the grocery store and my... My pitch to them was to help me get on the 2012 team, but by doing that, I needed to be able to compete internationally, and I needed to go over, and I needed to experience what that was like. So, Bishop Nuriagu figured that if she could offer exposure to potential partners, they might be more likely to endorse her. But in 2011, that was easier said than done. They wanted, they needed a spot to know how I was doing because social media wasn't big back then. I couldn't just post something and then it would get out. All I had was our local paper and this blog. And I think I got like eight views a month. Like it wasn't anything like, I don't know if people actually cared to go on other than my family. Connecting with sponsors to secure extra cash was a time-consuming endeavor, but it was also a necessary one. Before ever making an Olympic team, Bishop Nuriagu was realizing that the job of an Olympian does not stop at any finish line. In fact, it has two parts. The first is to reach and maintain world-class athletic caliber. The second is to find creative ways to support the first. In Canada, funding for elite athletes is a mixed bag with shallow pouches. 
Three out of four Olympians rely primarily on the Athlete Assistance Program for financial support, which is managed by Sport Canada and largely funded by the Canadian government. At its most generous, this program pays top performers $1,765 a month, or $21,180 per year, which is approximately $3,000 more than Canada's basic standard cost of living. There's a need there. We, we exist because there's a massive need for our athletes that are underfunded. That's Conrad Leineman, the CFO of CanFund, a charity that raises money for Canadian Olympians, Paralympians, and hopefuls based on both Olympic potential and financial need. Leineman himself represented Canada at the Sydney Olympics in 2000 in beach volleyball and spent much of his career strapped for cash. Now, he does his best to tackle the problem. Up to 1,000 athletes apply to his charity every year. CanFund cannot help every athlete who applies, but every time Lineman calls an athlete to tell them the charity will support them, he is received with a sigh of relief. I do most of the calls, and you surprise the athlete, the number one response is the breath after I say that to them. The breath, you can feel like their shoulders are up by their ears with stress, mm. and you hear the, just like a release of tension and pressure and like, how the hell am I going to get to this tournament? How am I going to pay my coach? How am I going to get better equipment? Again, every sport is different. Some are more funded than others, and that goes by their performance. Look at the winter athletes. Most of them pay to be on the team. Mm. Let me say that again. Yeah. They're going to the Olympics. They pay a team fee to their federation to be on the national team. It wasn't until a few years after she made her first Olympic team in 2012 that Bishop Nriagu stopped worrying about making money. She signed with her main sponsor, Nike, in 2013, but it's only by 2014 that her endorsement deals multiplied. It all started with the click of a button. Her agent encouraged her to make an Instagram account. Transition. I, I didn't know what kind of power Instagram had. I don't think anybody really did mm. when it first came out, or social media in general. Posting a few times per week proved a worthwhile time investment for Bishop Nriagu. It got her more attention from sponsors than running by itself ever did. For athletes, the opportunities for influencing are plentiful. The exponential growth of social media from 2 billion users in 2015 to 3 billion in 2020 has made it a tremendously effective form of advertising. In fact, influencer marketing became an $8 billion industry in 2020. Last year in North America, one-third of social media marketers said influencing was the social media tactic they used most. And not only are opportunities plentiful, they are increasingly lucrative. The growing popularity of influencer marketing is making influencer value per post skyrocket. InfluencerDB, a software that uses statistics to evaluate influencer post value and impact, reported that an Instagram post from Canadian snowboarder Mark McMorris 
is worth 3,410 US dollars, and one from the aptly named CrossFit star Brent Fitkowski is worth 2,856 US dollars. One of tennis star Eugenie Bouchard's 68 posts to her 2 million Instagram followers in 2020 was worth 10,593 US dollars. Influencing works so well that it raises an important question. How does an athlete evaluate themselves? Like, is it through performance or is it through social media or both? That's Dave Carell, category manager at New Balance Canada. Corel's role with the brand is to boost sales by promoting authentic storytelling around New Balance and its products. He says that the rise of social media has changed how brands, or at least New Balance, come to decisions about which athletes get sponsored and which ones don't. So I would say that 65-35, 65 being the online presence and 35 being the athletic performance, there has to be a, a level of standard, but the online abilities will, a brand will get more out of. No young athlete coming out that wants support, whatever resource that may be, whether it's bonus or money or products or whatever, um, if they don't have a social media presence, uh, it's kind of a non-starter. This is how Carell describes the perfect athlete to sponsor. I mean, the, the ultimate package is someone who checks the box on performance but on social ability and, and online ability um, is good looking it has significant following um, is genuine is uh, has a unique story and basing sponsorship decisions on much more than athletic ability says Carell is not unique to new balance like I would say the only brand that is purely sponsoring on performance, at, at least at the highest levels, is, is Nike. The fact that gaining sponsorships increasingly depends on social media presence is advantageous for charismatic and tech-savvy athletes like Bishop Nuriagu. But this new way of making money doesn't work for everyone. Nate Brannon is a now-retired 1,500-meter runner and Olympic finalist for Canada who never gave in to the new Instagram trend. Could have been one of those people that jumped on the bandwagon. It just—it wasn't my—it was my personality to to just do that for for some extra money. Brandon turned pro in 2005, five years before Instagram was even created. His marketability for sponsors back then, as far as he was concerned, depended strictly on his running performance. But over the course of his 13-year career, it became increasingly clear that simply running fast might no longer be enough to maintain a contract. Yeah, it wasn't until kind of the, my last couple years where I saw that switch from performance-based to how many followers you have on social media. In 2016, Brandon finished a career-best 10th in the Olympic 1500-meter final in Rio. No Canadian man had placed that well in that event in 16 years, yet when his contract with shoe brand Saucony expired four months after the Olympics, despite his top 10 in the world status, they chose not to re-sign him. When he was told he was being let go, Brandon said he just had to laugh. It was very apparent that if you were a good-looking female runner and not as fast, you were going to get a bigger sponsorship um, contract than, than somebody that was even much better than, than them.
and for them to have a huge social media presence. So it, we suffered. A lot of those athletes that can make a final or at least a semifinal suffered a lot more than obviously the person winning a medal or someone that is making a U.S. championship. It's not all athletes that want to be influencers. It's also not all athletes that can be influencers, says Yiran Su, a sport marketing researcher at Temple University in Georgia. It turns out, growing an online brand and succeeding in today's economy depends on things that transcend the playing field and that cannot be easily controlled. I don't think it really lies about um, the sport you play. It's about whether you have a compelling personal story to share. Being a good influencer is a science in itself. Sue says that influencers are successful when they convey both expertise and likability. When an influencer displays the relevant knowledge, skills, or experience to make correct and objective assertions, they earn what Sue and other researchers call cognitive source credibility. In other words, Viewers trust influencers they perceive to be experts. So, for example, people will trust an elite marathon runner more when he or she endorses a pair of running shoes than when he or she endorses, say, an electric guitar. So, all else being equal, this marathoner would be a more valuable influencer for Adidas than for Fender guitars. But expertise is not all that matters. People are also more likely to believe a message delivered by someone who is physically attractive and similar to themselves. That is called effective source credibility, and according to Sue, it's even more powerful than perceived expertise. Case in point, in 2020, American internet users aged 16 and up were more likely to accept advice about sports and fitness products like protein shakes and dumbbells from Jennifer Lopez than from NBA superstar Dwayne Wade. And also, they were four times as likely to take fitness advice from Ellen DeGeneres than from Rich Froning, who was four times crowned the fittest man on earth. Sue says that in the end, viewers are drawn to influencers who are knowledgeable, trustworthy, and attractive. And none of those qualities require an Olympic medal, or even an appearance, or even a tryout. That's why athletic brands would sometimes rather endorse the attractive and the relatable Instead of the strictly athletic, it's all about the clicks, the views, and the exposure that a sponsored person can bring to the brand. If I asked you today whether being an Olympian makes you any better positioned to become a paid athlete influencer than someone, than someone who just looks sporty and is relatable, is, is that true? It's, it's hard to say because business, like marketing, it's all, it's very outcome driven. It's all boils down to how many likes and how many followers. If sponsorships no longer favor the most athletic, but rather the most charismatic, 
What does that mean for the future of elite sport? Charlene Weaving, a sport philosopher at St. Francis Xavier University who researches the Olympic Games, predicts the rise of influencing will exacerbate a disconnect between athletic performance and sponsorship earnings that has existed for many years. Do you think that the world of athletic sponsorship was ever a sport-based meritocracy totally? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's always been flawed and unethical and biased, yeah. Would you say that there was never, that it was always like that, that it was always the marketable ones succeed and the less marketable ones fail, for lack of better? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think women have failed more so than men. What do you think are the, yeah, okay, so that's a characteristic. What do you think would be some of the characteristics that makes someone succeed and makes others not succeed? Gender. Um, I think your overall, for lack of a better word, sex appeal. Your, your story. And then you could, you could add, like, you know, like your skin color in there. Race, ethnicity. Mm -hmm. But you have to look the part and have already the celebrity status. Weaving said that an additional fear about the growing power of influencing is that it could get some athletes to capitalize on it in new and perhaps regrettable ways. I think there's more opportunity, like based on my research, what my concern would be is that there's going to be, for women athletes, it's all going to be going around this like stereotypical hypersexualization mode, that mm. that's how they're attention to right. get the, the sponsorship. Over the last five years, influencers have become pervasive, a part of everything from the diet and fashion industries to gaming and photography. More recently, influencing accounts for parenting, real estate are becoming increasingly common. Some people gain followings for posting about their ailments and diseases. In the world of athletics, influencing in sports are also already intricately intertwined. Companies like Open Doors and Influencer exist to help athletes build a personal following and connect with brands. The National Collegiate Athletic Association, or the NCAA, which historically forbade financial opportunities for its student-athletes, announced in April of 2020 that players will be allowed to become influencers by the 2021-22 academic season. This ruling could open the door to millions of dollars for the league's most followed athletes. Bishop Nriagu says she expects influencing will be a part of her life for as long as she's a professional athlete. Between training sessions, she works with an agent on content ideas, she negotiates new and recurring contracts with brands, and she spends roughly an hour per day creating new content. But she also understands the value of time, only like the mother of a young child can or like a fourth-place finisher in the Olympic final can. Even though she sees its benefits, she cannot justify making influencing her main gig. My gut is telling me that I'm more comfortable and confident on the track and competing and working hard and putting that kind of work in than I would be with social media. But I think there's a lot of give and take with social media and I'm not completely invested in it like I am invested on the track. And if I was to put all my eggs into social media, then yes, I think there would be an opportunity 
a bigger opportunity to gain some money. I don't know how much more, but if I was willing to be on my phone 24-7 and ignore my child, then I would probably try and do that as well. Influencing, says Bishop Nuriagu, has bought her time at the track. Time she otherwise would have to spend fundraising or teaching. But it's just a means to more important ends. A medal at the 2021 Olympics and a comfortable life beyond that. So, she uses her tool carefully, unwilling to lengthen the rest between her intervals or shorten a playtime with her daughter to create perfect captions, fiddle with filters, or find the right combination of hashtags that will get her trending. I feel more confident trying to get the money out of a, a, a track sponsorship. I feel like I have more talent on the track. She hopes that, ultimately, it's her most elusive talent, the one of running fast, that will help her make a living. I think a gold medal will speak more for sponsorship dollars than a social following. Yes, Alex, influencer era is nuts. Everyone wants to be one, and so many people have these massive platforms. That was Alex Sear with our seventh episode. And thanks to our executive producer, Emily Morantz, associate producer, Manuela Vega, artwork by Ben Shelley, theme music composed by John Powers. I've been your host, Gracie Bryson. And of course, last but not least, huge shout out, Amanda Capito, an Instagram influencer herself. Not really, though. And remember, fitting in is overrated.